Welcome to the fifth episode of Republic of Camberville. The following story, Bombay Princess, was written by me, Danielle Monroe, and features Reshma Mehta as Mindira. Please enjoy. The baby was coming earlier than expected. Mandir dressed the Kasava's bed in a rubber sheet, as Mrs. Kasava snapped her tongue against her teeth. Water, she whispered. And the freezer. Mandir eased Mrs. Kasava onto the mattress, leaving prints like firework bursts against her pallid arms. Mandir called the midwife, and then Dr. Kasava, who said he'd be home within the hour. She made quick work of the freezer discarding the boxes of organic frozen pizzas and cartons of soy ice cream, scrubbing it clean with eucalyptus disinfectant. She placed the family's placenta box, a thick Tupperware container, into the freezer to make sure it would fit. It would hold the afterbirth until spring, when the ground would be soft enough to plant it beneath a maple sapling. Mandir grabbed the box and ran upstairs. Mrs. Kasava was on all fours, her eyes coated in clouds. Dr. Kasava arrived an hour and a half later, and, without taking off his coat, made his way up to his wife's bedroom. Tiny snow piles trailed him like breadcrumbs. She has a fever! She should be in hospital! The doctor, as he liked to be called, ran a successful homeopathic fertility clinic in Cambridge, and had assisted in the home birth of his three other children. His degrees and awards lined the front hall and were the first things people mentioned when visiting the home. What Mandira disliked most about Dr. Kosova were his eyes, black and no bigger than gravel hidden behind specks as thick as aquarium glass. Mandira followed him upstairs, where he was cooing at his wife like a dog. You're doing great. He had two fingers on her wrist and his eyes on his watch. She should be in a hospital. This pregnancy, Mrs. Kosova's third, had proven difficult, with several trips to the ER due to intermittent mysterious bleedings. You are being stubborn, you know, like a child. Thank you for your concern, Mandera, he said without looking up. I assure you, Mrs. Kasava and the baby are in capable hands. In my country, rich women go to the hospital to have their babies. Get the children ready. He stood and led Mandera out of the bedroom with his hand on the small of her back. I'll call you when it's time to return. And where do I take them? But Dr. Kasava had already closed the door. Mandir dressed the Kasava's two-year-old twins, Dylan and Dusk, in miniature parkas, with alpaca hats, mittens, and scarves. They rubbed their eyes with tight fists, muttering to each other in the Spanish they'd learned at their immersion daycare. Mandir cursed in her own language. She had been the family's nanny for more than seven years, and as each one passed, she vowed to quit and return to India, where she hadn't lived for over 25 years. She was 50, Her beauty, she knew, was off-putting. Her skin, smooth and soft, a regal spine, turquoise eyes. She couldn't hide the extreme arcs of her cheekbones, the way her eyebrows announced her opinions. Orchid Mist, the oldest at seven years old, with red hair and a heartless peanut allergy, announced she could manage her coat on her own. When Mandira bent down to help with the buttons, she crossed her arms and fell to the ground. Don't wear a coat. See if I care. As a toddler, Orchid Mist had repeated everything she'd heard, mimicking Mandira's mumbling cadence with striking precision. And for this reason, Mandira called her Echo, but only when her parents were not around. Outside, the ground was mostly ice. 
Mandir and Echo held the twins' hands, and together they shuffled down the driveway in a cautious chain. From above, Mrs. Kasava's groan had bloomed into screams that pulsed against the closed windows. Mandir hummed to mask the sound. The family's SUV sat at the end of the driveway, flanked on either side by two Japanese fireglow maples, the twins' placentas feeding the roots. Mandira buckled Dylan and Dusk into their car seats. Leche, por favor, they clucked, and Mandira told them to hush. Echo stood with her feet wide and her arms crossed. I want to sit up front. You are too small. I want to sit up front or I'm not going. It was almost nine o'clock. The twins screeched, vamanos, and clapped their hands. Fine. You stay and freeze to death. Mandira closed the side door. I'm not a baby. One less mouth to feed. She stepped around the girl and walked to the driver's side door. Echo followed closely, crying. I'll tell Daddy I hate you and he'll fire you. There is a special place in hell for little girls who try to manipulate their elders. Mandira studied Mrs. Kasava's bedroom window, the only light coming from the second floor. They could still hear her. Her groans labored and undignified, as if she were slowly being ripped in two. Echo sat down in the snow. Her eyelids punched shut like angry scars. Mandira bent low, easing her knees onto the icy ground until they were face to face. Oh, Echo, your mother will be all right. Mandira took off her gloves and rubbed the girl's ears. It had always soothed her, even as an infant. Echo had been a colicky baby and stubborn. For over a year, she had cried for Mandira at least five times a night, unable to sleep unless she believed her nanny was by her side. You're too small for the front seat. It is what the law says. Dr. Kasava opened the window to the cold air. Mrs. Kasava's cries covered the lawn. In the window stood the silhouette of the midwife. She sang a soothing hymn, her voice diving and rising like a hawk hunting for prey. Mandira picked up the girl. Just this once. In the car, Echo played a game about science on her cell phone. Four children? Why does any woman need that many? The plows had cleared the road unevenly, and the sleek black asphalt glared from a distance in zebra stripes. Mandira drove slowly, letting the car idle for a full minute at every stop sign. In 20 years, they'll have to start growing food in test tubes, and your mother wants four children? Echo's game yelled, Great job! I bet she isn't finished. This time next year, she'll be pregnant again. And at 40. She tells her friends this one is the last, but who is she kidding? She said that joke after the twins. Your father has to show off what a great doctor he is. She should be in hospital, not like some third world Vedi. The twins giggled. They traded her word back and forth, pronouncing it shyly in their toddler voices. And I'm supposed to raise them? They expect too much from me. Years ago, she had taken Echo on a similar drive while Dr. Kasava delivered Dylan and Dusk. It was already dark when Mrs. Kasava went into labor, and Dr. Kasava had ordered Mandira to take Echo out of the house. Take her where? But he only twirled his fingers in the air. It was October then, and she had made a game of who could spot the most red maples, the last of the trees to turn each season. After a few hours, the night turned black, and Mandira, exhausted, called to say they were coming home. Dr. Kasava insisted she find a hotel instead. 
Later, she learned Dylan's birth had been normal. Textbook, Dr. Kosova said. Dusk, however, had breached with the umbilical cord around his neck and nearly suffocated in the time it took to arrive at the ER. In the panic, they had forgotten to call. The next morning, she and Echo arrived at the house to see the front door open, a prism of wet leaves stuck to the foyer floor. Mandira considered resigning dozens of times. Twice, she had handed her typed letter to Dr. Kosova, who treated it as her way of negotiating for more money. She was tired, old, growing older. In India, the cries of children would be no concern to her. A woman of her age, and with the money she'd saved, would be treated with respect. When she paid a visit to her sister's house, she would not have to share a room with an infant. She could live decently there. She had come here like many others, after marriage. Amit. His name sat in her chest like a boulder. He was a Malayali and a surgeon. The only two details her parents had cared about when arranging her marriage. Unlike so many other arranged marriages, theirs had failed to blossom over time. When at 39, after 15 years of marriage, and after the final doctor explained she would never have children, she left. It was a Tuesday in April. In the decade that had passed since that day, Ahmet had never searched for her, not even for a divorce. From the back seat, the twins screeched, Give your brothers their milk. I can't reach. Because you are a child and children have no business in the front seat. Mandira, with one hand on the wheel, gave the twins their cups. They drove on, Mandira telling the children how ladies in India would never give birth at home anymore, how the new generation understood the importance of population control. She argued their parents are out of touch with the needs of society. The rich always are. All they cared about was organic food and keeping their children away from vaccinations. Idiots. You all would be better off in foster care. Ugh. I'm so bored. Play your game. It's crap. Watch your language. There's no respect for a girl with a dirty tongue. Echo tossed her phone at her feet. Tell me a story. I don't have stories for naughty children. Echo fished out her phone and went back to her game. From time to time, she let out a forlorn sigh. The twins, charged from all the activity, deliberated loudly in Spanish, clapping and squealing. They drove along the Charles, dead and glassy in the moonlight, past the vegan bakery that smelled of mildew and carrots, past the Ashtanga yoga studio and the pet spa, past anthropology, Whole Foods, Starbucks, past the Twins Daycare Center with its plastic banner, launch your toddler's path to global citizenship, past the wine bars and crate and barrel, past the one-door liquor stores with their soft porn and softer carting policies. They drove past the playground with its cold summer sprinklers and depressed foam turf. These same roads had once seemed so strange, so dangerous. The sharp turns, the way the lines disappeared in bad weather, the drivers who pushed their cars into oncoming traffic when indicating a turn, even basic errands felt treacherous. Now, Cambridge felt normal, small. She could remember the vegan comfort food place that had been there before the vegetarian burrito place, that had been there before the ramen hot pot place, that had been there before the frozen yogurt place. 
She no longer needed a map. The streets formed a web in her brain. Still, this country had never been her choice. And even after 25 years, she still couldn't find its rhythm. Everyone rushing or staring at their phones. The only people who said hello were the homeless. Even now, her attempts at small talk were stilted and awkward. She was greeted by quick, closed smiles. Are you sleepy? A small voice anchored her back to the present. Mandira looked at her. Red patches spiked up her neck. No, Echo. I'm not sleepy. I'm fine to drive. Are you sure? I'm sure. Echo's eyes began to well, and she turned towards the window to try and hide it. She was such a fearful little girl. Had Mandira done that to her? Had she raised her to see death everywhere? They are not mine. Not mine. Not mine. Echo raised her cell phone and held it close to her face. Her hands shook. Mandira could see the tears ebbing over. She reached over to rub Echo's ears. The week before, Mandira was sweeping the kitchen when she caught Echo studying her from around the corner. The Kasavas were arguing in the dining room over playing fish during the delivery. Mrs. Kasava sat on the floor, her face as empty and bloated as a pumpkin, an echo sulking just outside, occasionally peeking into the dining room and then into the kitchen. The next time Echo's face appeared around the corner, Mandira spun around with a flourish she'd watched Kajol do a thousand times in DDLJ. Echo's face opened in joy. She took Mandir's hand and whispered, I think you're the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Mandir kissed her head and led Echo to Dr. Kasava's study to show where the color of her skin came from. India, she said, pointing to Dr. Kasava's globe. Echo said it looked a lot like Texas. Mandira taught her Nad, her word for homeland. And together they practiced saying it, Mandira's fingers on the girl's cheeks, coaxing out the soft, hollow word. How she wished the Kosovas could see the worry erupting out of their daughter. She was hardening herself against it each day, trying to kill the beautiful, delicate soul within. They are not mine, not mine, not mine. The twins chanted. Okay. Mandira announced to the car. How about a story? Story, story, Echo shouted and threw her phone down by her feet. She began chanting, stretching around in her seat to face the twins. Dylan and Dusk joined in, thrilled by the rare attention from their sister. Their legs flared with each repetition. Quiet down, Mandira scolded, trying to conceal her smile. It made her happy to see them happy together. Hooligans, the devil will not wait to get his hands on you. She stopped the SUV at a blinking red light. The wind pressed up against the car, and the three children stopped chanting all at once. We're okay, she said quickly. Slowly, their worried brows softened. Are you ready? She began. There was once a ship called the Bombay Princess. This is a story about a ship? Yes, it is. Now shut up. 
This ship was more than a ship. It possessed special powers. It healed the sick, gave life to the old, made the hungry fat. Grasa, grasa. The ballrooms were made of Italian marble and the curtains from cashmere. The water, people said, tasted like dew. Each door handle had its own sapphire at its core. The best chefs from India filled its restaurants. And trips were so expensive that it would take your father three years to be able to afford one ticket. I don't believe you. Quiet. A young man and a young woman met on the ship and fell in love. What are their names? It doesn't matter. Later, they got married on the ship and were very happy. Happier than any two people had ever been. When they got to Bombay, they bought a house and had a daughter. Can the girl's name be Orchid? No. Only after the girl was born. Why not? Because not everything is about you and the girl's name was Hema. That's not fair. Quiet down. Only after Hema was born did the wife ask the husband how he afforded the ticket on the Bombay Princess. And the husband admitted he had actually snuck onto the ship. Then he asked his wife how she afforded the ticket. The wife told him how she too had snuck onto the ship. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. Hema was very beautiful. So beautiful that people would stop by their house just to look at her. Then one day, a monkey in a black vest came along and told them they had been cursed by the Bombay princess. It said they would have to send their daughter on a ship alone, on a journey to America, to pay for the trip they banyo, used. Banyo, banyo. Okay, okay, um, hold on. Story. Yes. And if they didn't, or if one of them tried to go with her, one of them would die. Both parents agreed that they would rather perish than send their daughter on the ship alone. And they went to tell the monkey they wouldn't let Hema go. But when they got to the monkey's house, the father had a change of heart. Panyo! We're almost there, just keep holding. So the monkey took the child and put her on the Bombay princess and the parents never saw her again. Mandira pulled the car into a full-service gas station. She parked and handed the attendant the family's credit card, even though the tank was mostly full. She unbuckled the boys first. They clutched their pants and bounced in small circles. The four of them walked hand in hand into the food mart. Echo was saying something, and she had to repeat herself several times before Mandira heard her. That's not the end. Help me with your brothers. No, the mom and the dad sneak back on the ship to save Hema. I don't know. Not every story has a happy ending. Inside the food mart, Echo held Dusk's hand, while Mandira took Dylan into the bathroom. The twins had been potty trained together. If one heard the others tinkle, he would begin to wet himself. Mandira gripped Dylan from his armpits, holding him up to the urinal, where he urinated in short bursts like a poorly rigged sprinkler. Mandira traded the twins, and Echo announced she didn't like the story, that it was stupid and Mandir was bad at telling stories. India was a horrible place, and she didn't understand why anyone would ever live there. Mandir told her she could learn a lot from India, because their children were respectful, not spoiled, sinful little imps who didn't appreciate what they'd been given. I will go back to India, soon, and I'd be happy not to deal with children like you anymore. You can't leave. I am not some slave. I'll leave tomorrow if I want to. Echo stared at her for a moment before turning her back and marching away. Once the twins had washed their hands, the three children combed the aisles of the food mart. Mandira paid cash for a bottle of water. She approached the kafir with a ready defense if he should question why she was out with three children so late with a storm coming in. 
she was a capable guardian and had a very good reason for being out that she didn't care to share with him, and besides, it was none of his business anyhow, and she didn't have to explain herself unless the police were called, and there was hardly any cause for that. The cashier, a young man, his eyes glazed with a heavy sheen of indifference, took her money without even a hello. Echo dusted the columns of glossy candy packages with her fingers. Outside the well-lit glass windows, snow fell in a flurry of glittering moisture that turned the ground a valiant white. Mandira called for the children. They needed to leave before the roads got too bad. Echo said she needed to use the restroom. Be quick, and wash your hands. Don't tell me what to do. I should leave you here if you speak to me like this. Echo grimaced before stomping off in the direction of the restrooms. The tip of her nose held high in the air. At the SUV, Mandira buckled in the twins, handing them each a pacifier and covering them with a blanket. She checked her cell phone. Nothing. She dialed Dr. Kosova and let it ring once before ending the call. Sometime later, Echo climbed into the front seat, buckled herself in, and rested her hands on her lap, as if greatly annoyed by the delay. Mandira started up the engine, and Echo, seeing the plastic water bottle, stuck out her tongue. Water bottles produce 1.5 million tons of plastic waste each year. As your mother tells me, it's bad for the environment. So is overpopulation. Mandira drove the SUV slowly over the frozen, narrow, hilly roads before turning down a dead-end path. Echo pestered her about India, asking if the girls there were pretty, if they could eat peanuts. I'm tired, love. And she was, she was so, so tired. It's late. Go to sleep. It was almost 11, and the snow had evolved from nuisance to danger. Winter had always filled her with a special fear of black ice. The whole idea of black ice, she believed, could only belong in a place like America. It was years ago, her first winter. She and Amit were driving, where were they going? The Hamptons. Less expensive in the off-season. Amit was behind the wheel. She could see the light careening over the angles of his face. His cheeks full of tiny divots. Bad skin as a teenager, perhaps. It didn't take much away from him. She wanted to feel his cheeks, to rake her nails over their terrain. That's how she knew it happened. His cheeks flared and Mandira turned to watch the last foot of the guardrail spin out of sight. A moment of weightlessness, the car giving way and the crunch of the snow, slowly sliding deeper and deeper. When she thinks it's finished, the car slides more, her hand in Amit's and the sound of his laughter. Your face. Black ice is all. Nothing to be upset about. She turns to look at him, and he is impossibly old, and she hears the twins crying in the back seat. And where is Echo? Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God wake up! Mandira woke and stomped the brake pedal. A wail of wind bumped her window. The SUV shifted and returned. They were parked. The children were asleep. Impossible, Mandira thought. We're safe. Another wail, this one erupting from her chest. Relief and shame squalling in her stomach. She pressed her hands over her mouth, and when that didn't work, she opened her door and let her sobs vanish into the howling winds. 
We're okay. We're okay. They're okay. A few minutes later, she returned to her seat. She checked her phone. No calls. No texts. In the back seat, the twins' elbows twitched in their sleep. Echo was turned towards the window, but her breathing was shallow, and Mandira knew she was only pretending. Did I wake you? Mandira reached over to rub Echo's ears, but the girl turned further away, and it was then that Mandira saw it. In her lap was a candy bar, a peanut caramel candy bar, opened just an inch. Mandira grabbed Echo's chin and forced the girl's head to turn towards her. Where did you get that? Mandira ripped the candy from her. I'm not sorry. Her wet eyelashes were pulled into spikes. Did you eat this? Echo's chest shook. She stared ahead. Mandira opened her window and threw the candy bar into the road. Then she grabbed Echo's wrists. Ow, that hurts. Did you eat this? Tell me now. No. Mandira dropped her arms and Echo trained her eyes outside her window. That could have killed you. Do you want to die? From the back seat, the twins began to whimper. Answer me. No. Echo squeezed her eyes closed and began to rock in her seat. Dylan and Dusk's whines began to boil over. They flared against their restraints. Look at me. Do you know what happens when you do bad things? Echo kept her eyes closed and wiped her nose with her sleeve. Outside, the snow hit the windshield like soft, wet bombs. Look at me. When Echo didn't move, Mandira put two fingers below the girl's chin and turned her head once more. When you do bad things, people love you a little less than they did before. At the food mart, the snow fell in thick, eclipsing sheets. The twins cried. They nuzzled their heads into the tendons of Mandira's neck. Her arms shook as she held them. Their weariness reverberated off the freezer-padded walls. Echo stood before the cashier, her eyes fixed on the rows of gum below the register. Every other minute, Mandira would say, Hurry up! And, We're not leaving until you apologize. Mandira could see the girl's hatred. It glistened in the humiliated blush of her neck. Echo kept her arms crossed, her gaze down. She glared at Mandira with hot mutiny. Mandira knew something dark was blooming in her chest, that Echo would always remember this moment, remember her for it. Echo! Stop wasting everyone's time. The cashier, every so often, sighed. Another hour passed in the musty quiet of the SUV. It was after 2 a.m., and Mandira drove slowly. The twins slept, their faces turned in, check marks etched into their troubled, sleeping brows. Echo sat with her eyes locked forward. She had not spoken since the food mart. She had finally apologized after Mandira prodded her for a good 15 minutes. By the time Mandira calmed the twins, Echo was in the front seat, her arms crossed, silent. Wait until I tell your father, Mandira threatened, but both she and Echo knew nothing would come of it. Mandira drove to the Kosova street. She called Dr. Kosova, listening to each ring, exhaling at the end of every tone. When it clicked over to voicemail, she hung up. There were two tire tracks etched into the snow, not ten minutes old if Mandira had to guess. 
She thought about calling the hospital. She paused, backed up, and continued down the road in the opposite direction. Is she dead? Echo, you scared me. Echo looked at her with swollen eyes. Your mother is perfectly fine. There was a quiver in her voice she could not hide. Your father is a great doctor. How else could he buy all the things for you that he does? Echo stared ahead, unflinching and awake. You need sleep, love. I'm not tired. There is no reason for worry, Echo. You sleep, and tomorrow you will see. Mandir saw no indication that Echo had heard her. Her face was clouded with adult preoccupations. Do you want to hear the rest of the story? No. Close your eyes. I'll tell you the rest. It's all about Hema's rescue. I don't want the story. Mandira recognized the resolve in the girl's voice. Okay. Four a.m. Wind and snow thrashed the SUV, pushing the vehicle down roads Mandir didn't want to follow. Fallen branches blocked them from the residential streets she knew so well. The children slept. Dylan and Dusk faced each other, their mouths peacefully agape. Echo rested fitfully, her forehead damp. Mandira had tried to turn toward the Casava's home several times, but the storm had other ideas. She found herself driving along the Charles, where, it seemed, one good gust would push them into the river. She wasn't a very strong swimmer, and it was so cold. She'd never be able to save them all. She clenched the steering wheel. Tremors licked her shoulder blades. Too much. You were too tired for this. She found a road that led to the back entrance of the Kasava's neighborhood. Ancient grand houses, once owned by Harvard, but now housing families with new money and no interest in the history inside their walls. Wind hurried her, and for a moment she felt the SUV take flight. She thought about Amit and the night they had run off the road, how convinced she'd been during that sluggish descent, when she only saw trees and then the sky, that these things would be her final visions. How angry she was, positively livid, to hear Amit beside her, laughing after the car finally stopped, staring out at the cold field, a new danger lurking, hidden by night and snow. She knew they were not all right, not at all. The Kasava street came into view, peaked roofs hidden by noble pines, the houses like soldiers in the dark. The wind rushed and dotted the lawn with fallen tree branches, scattered like unclaimed limbs on some fresh battlefield. She parked just outside the gate, the two tire tracks from before already cloaked with snow. She checked her phone, dialed Dr. Kasava, and hung up on the third ring. Echo tossed in her sleep moaning but not waking. Mandira rubbed her ears. She pulled up to the gate and leaned out the window to enter the access code. A current of icy air crept into the SUV. The children shivered but stayed absorbed in their dreams. She slowly pulled into the driveway. The lights of the house were on, but Dr. Kosova's car was nowhere to be seen. She closed her eyes. She prayed. Mandira parked the SUV, she walked to the passenger's door, unbuckled Echo, and picked her up. Echo's legs clung to her waist. Her face dug into Mandira's neck. Mandira tucked the girl's hands into her chest. Mandira leaned against the SUV to support Echo's weight. 
she held her still, fighting the wind's insistence for her to sway. Briefly, the sky calmed. The snow hung suspended. The maples ached to a halt. Mandira began to hum. Above, Mrs. Kosova's window stood open, snow cautiously falling in. Thanks for listening to this episode of Republic of Camberville. Be sure to visit me at Pod Tales, a festival of fiction podcasting, this Sunday, October 20th, on the Leslie University campus. This is a free event, and there'll be loads of new podcasts to check out, just like mine. This episode features the voice talents of me, Danielle Monroe, along with Michael Cole, Vinit Prabhu, and Reshma Mehta as Mandira. Special thanks to Tina Abramson, Lenoy Alexander, K.V. Alexander, and Lilikuti Matthew for their logistical support. And thanks to Darren Vermas for everything. Next time on Republic of Camberville. After spending all night caring for her sick daughter, Miranda is forced to host an unexpected guest. I'm covered in diarrhea, and if you don't leave my house in the next two minutes, I will hug you. Thanks for listening.